BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Pass. Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Brendan Storr. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode 69. Don't do it. Oh, all right. Episode 69. Uh-huh, where we talk about ghosts and specters and spooks. That's it. Yes. Yes. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Dr. Killjoy? <laughs> well, I'm better now we got through that. <laughs> I've been dreading this for like four weeks. I had to cancel the dancing girls. <laughs> Two different troops of burlesque dancers. Oh, God. Even this, the backup team, the B team, if you will. The B team. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I think they were I hiding in that crawl space for a long time. They were really disappointed. That would cost me a lot of money, I'll have you know. Well, you should have known better. Yeah, because that's ever happened in my life. Because filth never pays. That's what I'm telling you right now. Challenge accepted. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> How how's your week been? How has my week been? Well, really, it's only been a couple days since we recorded the last episode. I mean, uh, it's true. I'm we, going away, so I'm bumping us up again to move forward in time. time yes. Time. You, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have a you have a personal life like a jerk. Oh, hey, it was you last time. Yeah, but I didn't do that by choice. That was my as I lay dying road trip. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I have done more traveling for funerals in the last three years than I think I have done for vacations. It's, well, you hit a certain age. Yeah. And, uh, and that's when it kicks in. That's The very weddings true. peter out and the funerals pick up. <laughs> but either way, free food. So, you well, know. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I, 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 uh, the last funeral I went to there, everything was cheese except oh, that's right. they had tons of pickles and pepperoni. Oh, Lord. So my sodium intake oh, my for that God. period was extraordinary. Your poor guts. Oh, it, yeah. I paid for it, but at the time yeah. it was amazing because <laughs> it was a, the really thin pickle slices. So you wrap it around the pepperoni. Uh-huh. So you get like the, the pepperoni, but you also get the crunch. So. I don't want to hear about your little pickles. <laughs> Anyways. 
You doing all right? Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm. Uh, I was dreading the Halloween ghost walk season because right. it's usually quite grueling. Oh yeah. But in light of all my super fun health stuff, they have taken much mercy upon me, and I only have two walks, so I am so grateful. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure if I'd said I only want two walks, they would have given them to me, but. I was sort of like, okay, well, let me know what my schedule is. Just throwing fear. yourself on their mercy. Of course. Yeah, of course, and, yeah. Uh, and they were kind to me, so well, I'm, I'm really grateful. That's good. I have, uh, I've actually been engaged in a pitched battle uh, in my house because it is, it's October. It's mid-October. Well, yes. when this airs, it'll be mid-October. Yeah. Like, this is early October. Uh, but spider season is beginning. Oh, yeah. And we live in a ground floor apartment, and we're, we're actually <laughs> a little bit in the ground. Well, and your your balcony is surrounded by bushes, right, at your house. 100%. So that's like spider heaven. Yeah, though this is, uh, I'm a veteran of the spider wars at this point. <laughs> like Galaxy Quest? No. What was it called? What was that movie called where they fight the bugs? Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers. Yeah. Like, You're pretty much Starship Troopers in real life. Yeah, with, with about as much nudity. <laughs> Just a lot less appealing nudity. <laughs> <laughs> but more bug killing. Well, see, the thing is, I don't like to kill the spiders. Oh, good. I sort of, uh, yeah, I, I used to. I used to be merciless in yeah. my spider uh, murderization. <laughs> but spider rage. Exactly. DM. Because um, I'm terrified of spiders. Oh, I, okay. I've held a tarantula in my hand once. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. I'm not scared of spiders, but I still wouldn't hold a tarantula. <laughs> oh, I was terrified. I mean, I'm looking at this thing, and it was fine. And it was actually quite soft. But then it started moving and I thought, okay, I can handle this. And then it started moving more. Yeah. And I just felt every muscle in my body tensing up like a guitar string. And I'm sure it did too. And it, well, I'm sure it did. Yeah. yeah. And that's why it started pant. So I said, get this goddamn thing off me. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I've been kind of trapping it in releasing and trapping and releasing <laughs> my own bare grills kind of situation. Nice. And, and the other, my wife knows this is going on because this always happens late at night. Right. When I'm awake and she's asleep and she woke up the other morning and there was a glass on top of the dresser next to my spritzer. And in the spritzer, I have uh, water and peppermint essence. Right. Because apparently, or peppermint oil, because they don't like peppermint. Apparently. Right, right. And so I'll, I usually, before I go to bed, I spray that under the door. <laughs> I spray it outside the window that opens. <laughs> like holy water. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But she said, why the glass? And I said, well, I went to come to bed and there was this big honking spider. And... I, and, and I was actually texting Rachel at the time. And right. I said, I got to go because uh, a big honking spider just walked out in the middle of my <laughs> spider bedroom. Spider alert. Yep. So I went to the living room or went to the kitchen, got a glass, hustled back to the bedroom. And the fucking thing's gone. No. Yep. And so I, I looked around, you know, I'm crawling around on my hands and knees with a flashlight on my phone. Right, right. And I mean, well, next lucky I didn't just turn on the bedroom light. I was so worried about this thing. <laughs> And uh, finally, I, I gave up, went to bed. I haven't seen well, I haven't seen that one since. But right. I saw another one in the living room. Again, I was coming. I think I was coming back from the bathroom or something. And yeah. there's this fat little bastard about the size of a dollar, yep. on the ground. And I thought, nope, this will not stand. This absolutely will not stand. <laughs> so I went again, got the cup, yep. come back, fucker's gone. Oh no! So, so they're onto you. Somewhere here, two of them are plotting against They're going me. covert. They are scheming, and I can feel it. I can feel their <laughs> spider plans <laughs> coalescing. Well, they're also, um, they're wolf spiders, if anyone wants to Google that. So they yes. are quite large, and they can deliver quite a bite. 
yeah, I mean, it, 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 I, I know it's mostly harmless. Some jackass is going to say, well, you know, they're, they're mostly harmless. They're just looking for They're more. more scared of you than you are yeah. of them. Yeah, no. I love when people say that. They're really not, trust no, me. Not no, with me. No. Um, but yeah, I, I actually, I've been bitten by them. And yeah, it doesn't hurt at the time. It, right. it, it hurts after. Right. But, uh, and, and it's not going to kill you. It just sucks. No. But, but I mean, on the plus side, you can then shoot webs out of your hands. So there's a, oh, no, wait, that's a different. The court order says I can't do that anymore. <laughs> But that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> okay, we're veering way too close to the 69 thing now. So you're going to need to veer a tack to the middle of the road. Nice try, though. So close. Only you could make spiders dirty. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you. So on this episode, of course, this is our second volume of listener stories to yes. celebrate the month of October and yes. Halloween spider approaching. Season? Spider oh, sorry, season. Halloween. Well, right. We're certainly not celebrating that. <laughs> But yes, Halloween is coming. We have a second volume of listener stories. And if you've sent stories in recently, odds are you'll hear it in uh, the third episode or maybe even one after that. We may do a fourth in November just because we've received so many amazing stories. We want to make sure we feature them all. And we're still, I think this batch, um, many of them are still from June. That's the thing. Be careful saying we want to feature them all. We are not going to be able to feature them all. Okay, yeah. As many as possible. Uh, There you go. As many as possible. (laughs) But yes. I don't want to make empty promises like to children. Yeah, I promise. We'll go to the zoo. Why is daddy drunk on the couch? Well, you did that again. I was looking forward to that zoo. (laughs) But I'm not calling you daddy. I'm sorry. No matter how many times you ask. Please don't. (laughs) Of course, we have our month-long musical guest. Yeah. It's the month of Halloween. It is also the month of Vampire Stepdad. He's so cool. He really is. And on this episode, we're going to be featuring the song Hope Springs Eternal. And it is from his brand new album, The Sun Also Sets. You can find that everywhere you stream your music and at VampireStepdad.com. Make sure you head over to his website. Check out all his merch. He's got some sweet shirts, pins. You can buy physical copies of the album. I have physical copies of his Love Bites EP and The Sun Also Sets. I love them both. And on our next episode, on the Halloween episode, we're going to be giving away five copies, digital copies, of his new album, The Sun Also Sets, Mm -hmm. to some of our patrons. That's right. We'll be talking a little more about that in the C segment. But if you don't want to sweat the details and you just want to make sure you're registered for those prize draws, Head on over to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys and sign up. Coming up after the break, Listener Stories, Volume 12. Welcome back. As we said before the break, this is our 12th volume of listener stories, uh, which is crazy to think that we've been doing this that long, <laughs> uh, which I guess we, at this point, it's, we're creeping up on three years. I know. January will be three years, uh, right? It is. Yeah. yeah. It was wild. As we also mentioned, we're recording this episode uh, well in advance. I think we're probably about a week ahead of, week and a half ahead of where we'd ordinarily record it. Yeah. And that's because you are heading out of town for a little while. Going on a trip. Very cool. And so yeah. what's the general route you're taking? Well, we're taking a two-seater sports car, so that's our first mistake. Huh. But we're heading down California Coastal Road, so coast of Washington, Oregon, California. Right. Hitting up the Monterey Bay Aquarium, and then a sharp left, and then we're heading over to Big Sur, and then up there through, like, Wyoming and, and Idaho and all that and going through uh, Yosemite 
and Yellowstone. So oh, we're basically cool. going to do a big circle. That's really cool. I've never been to Yellowstone. No, I haven't been to Yosemite or Yellowstone, so I'm really excited. And the goal is to not stay or eat in any chain establishments. Oh, interesting. Yes. So I'm thinking there's going to be a lot of those kind of weird 1950s roadside motels in our future. So you guys are doing the kind of situation where you just pick a place to, to stay when you're done driving for the day. Yep. Oh, I, I love that. That's new for me. I'm much more of a planner, so right. I'm looking forward to it. It can bite you in the ass. And, and it can, absolutely. I yeah. remember in 2008, my second time to San Diego, or sorry, San Francisco, my friend and I drove through and uh, it was August, so yeah. high to summer. There was one motel room left in the city. It was $250 US <laughs> for a single king size bed. Yep. So we ended up driving another, I don't know, hour and a half east across the bay to uh, Pleasanton, California. Right. Where we stayed at, yeah, you know, Joe's Motel Shack or something. <laughs> I had that same experience driving from New Brunswick to Manitoba. And that's when I discovered that uh, in Quebec, Saint Jean Baptiste Day is a huge deal. I right. did not know that. I'd never heard of it. But of course, we went through Quebec on that weekend. So when we finally found a, a motel, and it was, um, there were three, four, five, six of us, we actually had the same situation. We paid a huge amount of money for one room. Oh. And a bunch of us had to sleep on the floor or in the bathtub. And yeah, it was just a thing. So sometimes it's good to know what's going on in the towns you're coming up to because. Yeah, you have no idea. Well, to circle back around to scary things, uh, when we did that trip, uh, you know, I ended up staying in Pleasanton. There wasn't much in this area. There was a bar, there was a coffee club, or pardon me, a comedy club, and then I think it was about a lot of industrial space. Right. So we we walked across to the comedy club because we thought, well, it's better than nothing. And Andrew Dice Clay <laughs> was in town <laughs> doing a show. Oh my God. And we thought, well, man, let's, let's see. Why not? That could be fun. Cause I remember watching him as a kid and being kind of awestruck by how filthy his routine was. Yes. But, uh, it was going to be $50 to get what? in. What? Fifty, And the set had already started. No. No. So, but my friend stuck his head through the curtain cause he wanted to see. Yeah. And he said that Clay was on stage and it looked like he was wearing, how did he put it? He said, it looked like he was wearing a black leather vest over a brown leather jacket. Right. And then he realized the brown leather jacket was his skin. <laughs> That's a life hard lived. Yes. 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 So that was, uh, that was the scariest thing to happen to that me on, scary. on a road trip. So hopefully nothing like that happens to you. <laughs> Thank you. I guess we'll get to the stories. This story is from Jackie. My first story is from an experience I had while driving through rural western Minnesota to visit my family. I was 17, lucky enough to have a car, and tried to spend as many summer weekends as possible with extended family on their hobby farm. Not because I was a city girl who craved the simple farm life, but because there was always a great party in a pole barn somewhere with cute country boys and a keg of beer. Enough said. One Friday, I finished work, and against the wishes and better judgment of my mom, I hopped in my car around 9 p.m. and started on my three-hour trek across the state. I'd made this drive many times before, and the route was an easy one. My mostly flat straight drive went without issue, until I got to the River Valley town of Granite Falls. The countryside is beautiful, with rolling hills and huge trees. The road winds through town and follows the river for several miles through this loveliness. It's always a welcome change of pace after the many miles of prairie. 
On this particular night, the sun had long since gone down, and I was enjoying wide-open windows, Metallica, and the peace of basically being the only driver out there. The curved roads are hugged tightly by big trees and are kind of famous for deer car collisions, so I was driving below the 45 miles per hour speed limit with my eyes carefully scanning the roadside. I had no desire for a close encounter with Bambi. Plus, I was having a great time and was in no hurry to do anything but drive and sing along with the Black Album on cassette. It was around one of the corners that I saw a man walking on the side of the road. He was wearing jeans, a gray hoodie, and was near the right lane, walking towards me on the narrow shoulder. I thought, okay, weird. Why would someone be walking out here close to midnight? No flashlight, no gas can, no crazy movements to flag my attention or veer away to avoid my car. Maybe his vehicle broke down? Car crash? I was raised on stranger danger and was not going to pull over to offer him a ride, but I could at least head into the nearest gas station and have someone help him. I slowed down to a crawl and turned off my high beams. As I got closer to him, his sweatshirt was pulled over his head and his hands were in his front pocket. He just continued his slow and steady walk. Something felt wrong. This wasn't okay. What kind of psychopath is out here at this hour in the dark and doesn't at least make some movement to acknowledge the presence of my oncoming Oldsmobile? My chest tightened and my pulse raced. I realized that my windows were still rolled down and that sweet teenage freedom of the open road quickly changed into a nightmare scenario. I was in the middle of nowhere with a strange man nearing my car. I no longer cared about helping this person. I felt vulnerable and terrified, and I needed to be out of that spot. At this point, he was right next to my passenger door, and in the middle of his hood, where I expected to see the deranged face of a serial killer, I saw something worse. There was nothing. Empty blackness. This dude had no face. I hit the gas and looked in my rearview mirror, having one of those, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit moments. He was gone. Not in the ditch, not crouched down, not hiding, not running. He simply wasn't there. Yes, there were big trees nearby that probably would have hit someone if they so desired, but it would have taken more than a few seconds to get from the road to the woods. Nope, there was no trace of this menacing presence that was to my immediate right just moments ago. Deep down, I knew without a single shred of doubt that I saw an empty-headed sweatshirt and jeans where a corporeal body should have been. I experienced it in an all-consuming way that I couldn't possibly have imagined. I did safely get to my aunt and uncle's farm and told one of my cousins about the creepy roadside attraction. He just shrugged it off. Jerk. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc second story 
From the summer between my freshman and sophomore college years in St. Paul, Minnesota, three friends and I rented the top two floors of a beautiful home in a quaint and quiet neighborhood. Pretty sure we were the only college kids around, and our landlady was a lovely woman with two small children. All of us were pre-med biology or chemistry majors, and aside from the occasional dinner with friends, we rarely hosted parties and didn't really go out. Basically, we kept our nose clean so as not to get the boot from our lovely summer house. The place was old, but had been remodeled a handful of times, and we considered ourselves fortunate to have found such an incredible place in our price range. Our main level was living space and kitchen, plus a bathroom and two bedrooms. Two more bedrooms upstairs, a kitchenette area, and then an enormous great room of sorts, with lots of skylights and big windows. Four broke college kids living in a dream house, because that happens, right? The four of us settled in, along with my roommate Lou's cat. Lou was so excited to have her cat with her for the summer, but the excitement faded fast because this cat hated the house. The stairway that led down to the laundry room was her spot. She would sit at the doorway and make these awful growling noises. We couldn't distract her. She stopped eating, stopped drinking water. Lou's parents eventually took the cat back home shortly after moving in, with plans to take her into the vet. But once away from the house... Kitty returned to her old, happy, healthy self. There were noises. Sometimes doors opened. Sometimes the whole house seemed to vibrate. The top floor was particularly active. A closet in the kitchenette would open and its contents relocated to the floor. I phrase it this way because it wasn't a simple, oh crap, the broom fell out of the closet. Things would be placed on the floor, sometimes in rows. The great room, our favorite bright sunny space to hang out and play games or watch movies, was also a source of nightmares to anyone and everyone that spent the night in there. Always the same dream about waking up to someone laying next to them. And although the descriptions of said bunkmate varied, they were all given by house guests who were in a big hurry to get the hell out of our house. Here's the funny thing though. The four of us didn't talk about this. We didn't have conversations about our weird goings-on in our summer abode. We were science majors, for crying out loud. We don't do paranormal. We didn't realize that it wasn't one of us that was opening doors, or that our friends were having the same dream in our guest room. Two months went by without any of us putting the pieces together and acknowledging that it wasn't just one of us occasionally hearing things. We were all freaked out and just too proud or stubborn to share it. As my roomie Meg finally put it, there's something else living here. I saved the best part for last, though. Yours truly had a nightly visitor that would whisper into my ear that it was two in the morning. Now, as a budding scientist and wannabe skeptic, I assumed it was somehow my subconscious at work and that I was actually just waking myself up thanks to my circadian rhythms and the help of my bright green digital alarm clock. It helped me sleep at night to think that I was responsible for this seriously unnerving nightly wake-up call. And then it happened on a night when I was already awake and aware of the crazy thunderstorm outside and the power outage. I heard, it's two in the morning, and without having any evidence to back it up, I knew it was freaking two in the morning. That did it. That scared me. It was that same night, wide awake, watching the lightning outside, that I saw a ball of darkness form in front of a window. I wasn't sure what I was watching, but it looked like smoke or fog. But it was black and opaque. I couldn't see through it, but 
it was a stark contrast to the strobing of lightning flashes outside. This swirling blackness gathered into a space about the size of a basketball near the top of my window, and then dissipated. I hadn't seen anything like it before, and thank goodness I haven't seen it since. I've listened to your stories about shadow people. Maybe that's what this was, or was trying to be. I still can't explain it, and didn't talk about it much until I got older, and developed more curiosity about the unexplainable. Hence my appreciation for your show. Thank you so much for that, Jackie. That is a fantastic story. It really is. I love that the roommates just didn't talk about it. Yeah, we're not doing this. No, far more common than you'd think. Oh, sure. You know, yeah. They're very rational people. Yeah. So there's got to be a, another reason for this. But exactly. time goes by, you just run out of rational reasons <laughs> for things. <laughs> and, oh, man. Interestingly, that's not the first time we've had that swirling, kind of massing darkness thing. Yeah, yeah. There was that story about someone, I think it started over their television. If, oh, yeah. Yeah, with the same kind of massing, swirling darkness. I wonder I, if it's because of the energy that's released by the television, and in this case, the energy released by the lightning. Who knows? Just a theory, but who knows? But it's kind of interesting. And I, I kind of love that she was listening to the Black Album on cassette. <laughs> it's awesome. It really is. This story comes from Michael. Before I give you my most obviously paranormal story, I figure I'd give you some important background. My family has been practicing witchcraft almost forever, though I still grew up Catholic. Folk magic for life. On my dad's side, we can trace it back to the Basque witch trials. The little tricks and charms are just so commonplace for us, it's almost second nature. So here's my story. My maternal grandma and I were close. She was basically my second mom. She passed away in 2004 and my world turned upside down. We moved back to the small town where she had lived so my grandpa wouldn't be alone and so he wouldn't eat carniceria food all day. I didn't have any friends and was harshly bullied. By 2013, I'd already graduated high school. I'd made real friends and gotten to the point where I can do readings and workings for people professionally. One night in either late May or early June, I'm falling asleep and feel this weight behind me. I sleep on my right side and I can feel something touching my left shoulder. Then I'm surrounded by the smell of gardenias and strong floral-smelling perfume. Immediately, I know it's my grandma. She was a little chubby when she was alive, and I could feel her weight behind me and her arm around me the way we used to lay down when she'd put me down for a nap when I was little. I started crying a bit, and she said, Quieto mio. I was scared to turn over because I felt she was going to leave if I did, so I fell back asleep with her next to me. When I woke up, she was gone, but I felt at peace and content. I told my mother, and apparently my grandma has visited her multiple times in dreams, but she's never seen her face until last year, and she smelled her perfume randomly around our house for years now. That's a really beautiful story, Michael. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. And that reminds me of, I can't say who, but someone I know, they had a similar experience when they lost their partner. Oh, right. They would feel them lying next to them yeah. and uh, smell them, and they would, but they, they, couldn't, they knew they couldn't turn around. Yeah. And the sensation would last for several minutes. Sometimes they would fall asleep with the feeling of their partner pressed oh, up against them. That's really sweet. It is, yeah. And and over time, it faded. Yeah. But during the worst of it, they had this. I keep going back to that story because, you know, it seems that in the first few months, they seem to hang around and you smell them and you sense them and then it slowly fades away. And I always wondered about that. Right. And we got... We got a story sent to us, and, and, and maybe we read it on air, I don't remember, but it stuck with me out of the <laughs> hundreds of stories we get. And she said how her mother would come to her in dreams. Oh, yeah. Right after she died. Yep. And then it went for like a month, and she didn't dream of her mother. Like, she dreamt of her every night. 
and they would have conversations as if her mother was still alive. And her mother, yeah, I know you're sad, but you know, you're going to be okay kind of thing. And then it went for a month with no dreams of her mother. And then she had a dream and her mom was there and her mom was sitting on a bench and she walked up and sat beside her and she said, mom, mom. And the woman looked at her kind of confused and she said, oh yes, I remember you. I loved you very much. Oh, wow. But I have to go now. Right. It's time, you know, that I, I move on to the next thing. And, and the girl said, even in the dream, she was really upset. Like, oh my God, my mom doesn't remember me or, you know, doesn't have the same. Right. But with some time, she realized, no, this is kind of where we are as human beings. Our souls need to move on and develop and go on to the next thing and and it was her mom's way of it was kind of nice actually that she got that chance to let go yeah and knew that her mom was able to let go so yeah but i I love that i love that and the smell of perfume that lingers i think that's amazing absolutely there is a film called enter the void which it's not for everyone but it's about a guy who gets shot and dies right and the camera is his spirit's point of view and it's really trippy and what's fascinating about it is that at first the camera spends time with all the people he was close to right and he sees them go through their grief yeah yeah but over time he spends less and less time with everyone and, right. and it's it's like he's he's drifting yeah and yeah. then i believe the film ends spoiler alert with him being born again Oh, wow. And it's a really, it's a hard film. Like it, it was directed by Gaspar Noe, who is not known for soft movies. Right. But it's really fascinating to see because I think it represents a very particular point of view on the afterlife. Well, and, yeah. And I mean, and that's why you seldom hear about graveyards being heavily haunted. Like usually there seems to be like a guardian who's there. Right. Um, Because I think sometimes when people die, they don't know what to do. If they're stuck here, they don't know what to do. And so they follow their body because that's just who they've always been. Sure. Um, But most of them seem to figure it out or they're released or it's time to go. But I think there are those who maybe weren't done with their story or don't understand what's happened. And they do get stuck with their bodies. The energy does remain. So, yeah, it's interesting. This story's from Kelly. As far as the supernatural goes, I haven't decided what I believe. But what I do know, if these things do exist, I hope never to meet one as I am chicken shit and would probably pee myself. You and me both, Kelly. (laughs) My story isn't anything that happened to me, but my mom told me it happened to her sister. It's very short, and I don't remember it fully, but I know the general gist. My aunt and her husband at the time went to a museum that allowed pets. They had a dog, some sort of boxy dog. I don't know my breeds very well. And every time they went to this room, the dog would go and stand in a corner of the room and bark. They toured the rest of the house, and on their way out, revisited this room, and the dog did the same thing. So my aunt decided to take a picture. This was before digital cameras. So when she got the picture developed, she noticed a white mist in the corner where the dog had been barking. I never saw this picture. However, my mum did, and I know my mum would have found every logical explanation for it before assuming something supernatural. But in this instance, she didn't. This story comes from Anna. And it actually came in two parts. She sent one several months ago, and then the other part uh, just came, I think, yesterday. So it sort of worked out well that we could tell both parts of the story at the same time. Anna says, I wanted to come forward with what I've always interpreted as shadow people. I always believed they were the dead who have not been rightfully laid to rest or whose bodies have never been found. Let me tell you why I think this. I had an uncle in Vietnam who died fairly young. This, of course, was before I was born. It was during the mid-90s. My family and I were living in liberal Kansas. 
we visited my aunt who was living in Wichita at the time. There was a rocking chair in the corner of the guest room we were staying in. I was still young at this point and slept between my parents. During the first night, I woke to see a shadow figure sitting in the rocking chair. There were no features, but I could tell it was the figure of a young boy. He never made a sound and never seemed surprised that I noticed him. He just sat there watching. Thinking it was one of my cousins playing a prank, I wrote it off and went back to sleep. The next day, I asked my aunt where my cousins were. She told me they had been staying with other relatives for the past few nights. I wouldn't find out until several years later that my aunt actually kept, and may still have, some of my uncle's old clothing in her closet. When they were young, she gave him a piggyback ride. He did not hold on. He fell and hit his head. And they say he was never quite the same after that, and that this may have contributed to his drowning. His body was never recovered. She harbored a lot of guilt for his death. This is who I always thought was sitting in the rocking chair that night. I also want to let Ian know that his I Know the Lord song is a lifesaver. When I hear things go bump in the night at my house, I start singing that song in my head, and it works. The noises would stop, and my mind would immediately be at ease. Take that, ghosts. <laughs> One last thing I wanted to mention was about sleep paralysis. I haven't had it in a long time, thankfully. But when I did, I would wake up slightly to a low metallic buzzing noise. Every time I heard this noise, I got sleep paralysis shortly after. Have you ever had anyone with this experience? First off, I have to say that I am beyond thrilled that your country album, which you tried to hide in obscurity, <laughs> has become this talismanic thing <laughs> to help people keep their fear away. Maybe I can just sell that song as like a magical uh, 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 anti-ghost chant. I'm sure you could. Mm. Well, one day I'm going to actually make CD copies of this album. Oh, please And don't. we will sell them. It will be amazing. No, it won't. Oh, maybe even a vinyl. <laughs> the, the kids love the vinyl these the days. The kids love the vinyl. You know what's funny? That song, and I think I've, I've mentioned this before, that was my fill-in-the-blank song. Um, I was doing the album, and I needed one upbeat, quick song. I wrote it in like 10 minutes, um, and uh, it's just catchy as hell. It really is. It really is. And um, I had got probably the most feedback on that one. Like, I had someone tell me they were going in for an operation, and they were really scared, and they started singing it in their head as they went under the anesthetic and came out of the anesthetic singing it, and it just made them feel better. And all sorts of things like that. So when she says that about, you know, she hears something go bump and she starts to get scared, that's not the first time, believe it or not, that that song has been used for that kind of thing. So That's amazing. It's pretty wild, yeah. And in honor of episode 69, I'm going to cut in 30 seconds oh. of I Know the Lord. I know the Lord, I know the Lord. I know the Lord has a hold on me. I know the Lord, I know the Lord. I know the Lord has a hold on me. Ah, <laughs> uh, pop. Do you feel protected goodness. and purged? That's right. You are safe now, my children. <laughs> Holy man. And of course, if you want to hear the rest of Ian's smash hit Christian country album, Aware of Wonder, head on over to, well, pretty much anywhere you get your streaming music. Or if you want the original high quality digital files, join our Patreon. But that's a whole other thing. <laughs> uh, just I want to touch on Anna's question about the buzzing noise. In, I think it's Lewis Proud's book, Dark Intrusions, he talks about, which is about sleep paralysis. Right. He talks about, the, yeah, th that sound. It can be, sound like a drill or it can sound like a grinding. 
and that often precedes sleep paralysis. Oh, wow. And, but what's interesting in, is that when we were in the 1218 studio and I was still working for that, that consulting company, we had a Skype call one day. And uh, of course, I was the only one literally in the building at the time. And the call started with this intense drilling noise. And I said to my coworker, I said, oh, you get work done on, on, the, on the house. And he said, well, I thought that was you. Yeah. And I've never had that happen on a Skype call before. Wow. Again, the sound of, it sounded like a power drill. That's so weird. It really is. And I'm certain it was that building. Cause I, I know that we've yeah. talked about this before. Yeah. If you talked about that building in this regard, you would l- start to lose cell signal. It's the that only time it so would happen. Crazy. The only time it would happen. Wow. So thank you so much for your stories, Anna. Yeah. Our next story is from Josh. My name is Josh and I live in a relatively small city in Southern Pennsylvania. I want to congratulate you on the tremendous success that the podcast has achieved. Thanks buddy. Your growth as podcasters is nothing short of outstanding. I listened to the first two episodes and to be perfectly honest, was not a fan. <laughs> uh, yeah, they were pretty rough. After not listening for a little while, something told me to keep going and I picked it back up. While listening to the story about haunted hospitals, Ian spoke about his dad seeing men while in hospice care. We had a similar thing happen with my grandmother. Through lots of family help, we were able to keep her in her home, the one she was married and lived her entire adult life until she eventually passed away peacefully at age 104. The last year, she was bound to a hospital bed in the rear of the house. Hospice would come regularly to help care for her and would handle whatever else she needed. One day, I was sitting on our portico that ran along the second story of the back of the house enjoying a cigar. There was only one door to the portico, and I would have seen anyone entering. On a still day, I felt a breeze blow across my face, and a cardinal perched on the railing a few feet away from me. Cardinals have always been my grandma's favorite bird. When I turned to admire the bird, I saw something I will never forget. The form of a younger woman was seated in the chair to my left. She was dressed as in the period of the 30s or 40s, and she appeared in sepia tones, not quite black and white, but not in full color. She was a beautiful young woman and had the most serene look of anyone I have ever seen. Having seen many pictures over the years, I immediately recognized the younger version of my grandma. She turned her head to me and tilted her chin as if to say hello, then slowly vanished from sight. A few moments later, as I was still trying to figure out what had just happened, my father entered the portico from the door to my right. He informed me that they had just noticed that my grandmother had stopped breathing and the hospice nurse had made the call. I've come to believe that my grandmother's spirit took a moment to say goodbye to me as she left the place where she had been the happiest. I also get a warm feeling in my heart every time I see a cardinal to this day. Thank you guys for sharing all that you do, and I hope to send some more stories that have happened over time. What a great story. Oh, it really is. Um, It reminds me, actually, of my own grandmother, who was in England. And I I was young, uh, 15, 16, and chatting with her. And she was in her 80s, and she was very wrinkled as an older lady. And... um, I don't remember how it came up. I think I was asking her about the Titanic because I was fascinated with it at the time. And she said, oh, you know, I was really young and and I don't, I remember it being in the papers, but I don't remember a whole lot about it. But she also said to me, you know, it's so funny. I look in the mirror and I'm always surprised. It's, It's like, who put that old woman in there? And then I realized it's me. And I said to her, well, how, how old do you feel? And she goes, maybe mid twenties. Yeah. And so the fact that his grandmother appeared to him at, you know, sort of in that era 
at that age makes perfect sense because while the body is aging, it's sort of like maybe the soul, and I don't know, but it's sort of like the soul picks whatever time it was happiest or most content or right. at the height of its power, whatever. And that's the form it chooses to be in. I think, I just think it's a great story. I No, I absolutely loved it. And I, I really liked his honesty about tuning out of the show for a while. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, that, and, and the fact that something encouraged him to check back and that he found something that worked for him. That's really cool. Yeah. Very so, cool. Thank you so much for that, Josh. Thank you for sharing. And welcome back to the show. Yeah. We are happy to have you. <laughs> we promise not to ever go back to the way it was. Oh God, no. Oh no. I know when, whenever I tell someone to, uh, to, or I never tell someone to listen to the show, I'm not that guy. The worst, the worst <laughs> sentence you can ever say to anyone <laughs> is, have you listened to my podcast yet? Oh, I will never so awkward. ever do that in the history of the world. Never will I do that no. because that is a monstrous thing to do to another human being. It is. Uh, but one of the things I will say, if they ask about where to start, I will always say, do not start with the early episodes. No. I know some people like to start at the very beginning of a podcast and listen to the front to, so you can kind of get a sense of the evolution. And from the it. context. Sure. But, yeah. but listen to a couple episodes of the new stuff first. Yeah. So you know where it ends up. Yeah. So you don't think, holy Jesus. What a car crash. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think saying to someone, have you checked out my podcast is the modern equivalent of saying, come over and check out my vacation slides. Yeah, or, nobody wants to do that. Or baby, let me play stairway for you. <laughs> no, it's, it's a human rights violation. Just don't do it. I agree. This story comes from Carolyn. Like most of your listeners, I've grown up having various encounters with all things spooky and have many tales to tell, but one encounter sticks out more than the others. I live in an old cottage in Weston Supermare, England that dates back to the 1600s, and as you can guess, is typically haunted by previous owners. The atmosphere is very homely and welcoming, and there has only been this one time that I ever felt uncomfortable. My daughter was at the age of not completely sleeping through the night, and I would have to go to her during the early hours. I should set the scene. At the top of the stairs is an L-shaped landing with a bathroom directly on the left at the top of the stairs, my daughter's room in front of the stairs, and then a small corridor to the spare room that has a full-length mirror facing the bathroom door. My room is on the right, diagonally across from my daughter. Now, I'm also typically scared of the dark, so I had my nighttime routine completely planned. For example, I know that if I want to turn on the light in the landing, it is a mere two strides from the comforting glow of the lamp in my room to get there. On this one night, I got up as usual, dealt with my daughter, and switched off the light, with arm outstretched while taking my two strides. It was while on the first stride that I saw my shadow in the full-length mirror. It took me by surprise, as I had not seen or been aware of my shadow before, remembering that I had switched off the light. It couldn't really have been my shadow, as I was bobbing about trying to figure out what I was actually looking at and trying to find how the shadow was being cast. But that shadow was not moving. It was perfectly still. Fear started to creep over me as I did the last check by standing in my doorway and then popping my head around the corner with this freaky shadow still there, stood eyelessly looking back at me. I've never run so fast in a bed with the covers, the ultimate protection, tightly pulled over my head. I left my lamp on too, for obvious reasons. Doppelganger stories, man, I've only heard a few of them. And I know we've had some people uh, suggest that for a, a potential to show topic at yeah. some point. And I, I would be into it uh, because they scare the hell out of me. <laughs> they are very upsetting. Can you imagine looking, just coming around the corner and looking at yourself? How no, I think it'd be terrifying anyway. I, I don't like myself from inside. <laughs> Looking at a different, another version of me? Oh, Jesus, that's what I look like. All right, well, now I have to fight you. <laughs> Next story is from Maddie. Hi, I'm Maddie. It's fine if you want to use my name. Good thing. This happened when I was seven years old, and we just moved to our new house. 
The way my room was set up, my bed was against the wall, and I could see right out my door into the kitchen. One night I had a nightmare, but I looked out my door and saw a woman, and she just stared at me until the clock struck midnight. Then she appeared right next to me and held on to my throat. I woke up. This nightmare happened for an entire year, until one night I actually woke up at 11.55 and saw her standing in the kitchen. I was paralyzed, just like in my dream, but I wasn't dreaming. The clock struck midnight. She peered right next to me and held on to my throat. I wanted to scream, but I couldn't. I knew I wasn't asleep. I pinched myself before she grabbed me, and I've never had that dream or seen her again. Thank you, Maddie, for that story. That sounds absolutely terrifying. Next story is from Sam. I grew up in a rural area of California in a small town outside Fresno. When I was six, I lived in an informal foster care situation after my mom had a mental health crisis. It was a little less than a year, and I visited with my parents and older brother every now and then. But every time I would, my brother would tell me scary stories about our house being haunted. He was a typical older brother, and he liked to tease me a lot, and I assumed he was just trying to scare me. I pretended not to believe him, even though his stories really creeped me out. Over time, my brother got very upset that nobody believed his stories. After about nine months away, I moved back home to our tiny, run-down apartment. But there were some changes in the house. For one thing, my parents replaced the hallway light with a green-tinted light because my brother was afraid of the dark. Also, my parents had gotten rid of my old bed, and so when I moved back, I now had to share a bed with my brother until they found a replacement. He didn't claim to see ghosts every night, but he swore that he did see them. He told me that if he ever saw them again, that he would wake me up. If I remember right, he said he saw them again, but had never woken me up, so I convinced myself he was just teasing me. And then one night, he woke me up. He shook me without saying a word. He pointed at the hallway door where there stood four figures. They didn't look like ghosts do in movies, like some translucent hologram. They looked like they were hollow forms filled with smoke, or maybe like frosted glass. They were all different heights, and they all looked green-tinted in the hallway light. I looked back at my brother, and his eyes were wide, where we made eye contact, and he asked if I saw them too. I nodded, and we both turned to keep looking at the figures. They stood facing into our room, side by side, and I felt like they were watching us. Every once in a while, they would sort of lean towards each other as they watched us in a way that suggested they were talking to each other while keeping their attention on us, the way that a group of moms would chat while they watched their kids at the playground. These weren't a comforting presence. I was so scared, but it honestly never occurred to me to call out to our parents. I don't know if it's because of something they did or if it was simply that we didn't have the kind of parents who would react compassionately if their kids woke them up in the middle of the night. It must have been very late, as my dad worked swing shift and was usually awake until 2 or 3 a.m., but I couldn't hear any noise in the house. The thing that scared me the most was that this experience felt like it lasted forever. It wasn't like the movies where you saw a ghost as it ran around a corner, or even a ghost that spoke some ominous warning before it faded out. They just stood there. And in my mind, it was ours, although I'm sure it couldn't have been. My heart was pounding, but it felt like I couldn't move. 
Not because I wasn't able to, but because I didn't want them to know I was awake. I didn't know what they would do if they saw me move. So, as we laid there, waiting and waiting, I noticed a few odd things. One was that while there was definitely four to begin with, I suddenly noticed there were only three. Somehow, one had left, and I didn't notice. As time went on, that third one would fade a bit, but grow more opaque as I focused my attention on it. I also think that the tallest one was a grandmotherly figure, but I never saw it have any kind of feature that would suggest that. It was just sort of a feeling I had. Eventually, as I realized that they were not going to go away, I tried to sleep, but as my heart pounded, it was impossible to actually do so. I was uncomfortable laying on my side, but I was too scared to move. And I know this sounds weird, but every time I closed my eyes, I would have not a dream because I was still awake, but a vision of a green blob crawling up the end of my bed. I knew that the ghosts were real and the blob was just my mind running away from me, but I couldn't shake either of them. If my eyes were open, I saw the figures in the doorway. If I closed my eyes, I saw that blob crawling up the foot of my bed. That's what it reminded me of, the blob from the old campy horror movie. I'd never seen it, but it was a pop culture reference I knew. I never thought it was scary before that night, but afterwards, it would give me a sense of dread, a sense of slow but inevitable impending doom. Eventually, I did fall asleep, but I'm not sure how. The next morning, my brother asked me if I saw them, and I said that I did. We talked about it between ourselves, but didn't tell our parents for a long time. I don't remember ever seeing them again, even though I've seen other things since then. But I was always afraid of them, and I never liked to be alone there. That is intense. It is intense. And thank you, Sam, for sending us that story. That is... Yeah, (laughs) that's a heavy one. This maybe doesn't sound great, but... uh... Better you than me? (laughs) This story comes from Jenna. She says, Now that I've had a couple hours to calm my senses, here's my scared shitless moment of the year. So I live in the basement apartment of the house I was raised in. It's not an old creepy house or anything. It was built in the 90s. Anyway, since I've been living in this house my whole life, I know it so well I can walk around with no light assistance. That's why I was walking into the unoccupied bedroom next to mine to organize some things at 2am. It was hella dark. And before I could turn on the light, a small, gray, big-headed figure was standing in front of me. It was there for a flash of a second, and as I was moving toward the light switch, it felt like an energy pushed through my chest. A wave of emotions hit me after that energy passed. I wanted to cry, scream, and I felt so sad and broken. It was a wild experience for sure, and it freaked me out. This figure was in the room I mentioned in past stories I've sent to you, the man in the closet and a tall shadow figure standing in the doorway. I'm not sure what's going on with that room, but whenever someone lives there, they experience sleep paralysis a lot too. Thanks for reading. And thank you for sending that, Jenna. I I know there's a house back home in Revelstoke where uh, the people who sleep in one particular room have extraordinarily vivid dreams. Doesn't matter who it is, if they're part of the family or not, if they sleep in that room, they have the dreams. And and I, I don't know why that's the case. So thank you again, and I hope things have quieted down for you. This story comes from Kendall. I grew up on a small island off the east coast of the U.S. My parents were station managers for a yacht club, and the home we lived in was beautiful and Victorian. Built in 1927, if I remember correctly, it was tucked away into the side of a forested hill, had lovely wooden floors, and open windows looking out towards the ocean. We were subject to frequent power outages in the winter, and when the house went down, it seemed like somebody turned down the darkness dial too. 
it got inky black. This happened late one winter evening in the 2000s. We were experiencing a bad storm, high winds, extremely high tide, and I was the lucky family member to go with my dad down to the basement, which was built into the hill, to help him do the dirty work of supplying the family with at least some electricity. I was practically my dad's shadow back then, so not even my fear of this awful basement could have prevented me from helping him. Everyone hated the basement. It had musty, stagnant air, and the atmosphere felt overcharged, if that makes sense. Everyone who went down there felt watched, and almost everyone had been pushed, touched, or scratched. So, Dan and I are down there in the pitch black, and he trusted me enough to stay in place holding everything together while he went upstairs two floors to get tools and whatever else. I wanted to be brave, so I said it was okay. We'd already been down there longer than I would have liked, so when he left, it felt like it was an eternity. He had been gone however long, and I remember this hot, sulfur smell that hit the back of my neck. I instantly froze and was terrified to move. Minutes after the breath hit my neck, I started hearing things move around. Everything behind me seemed like it was being tapped on with long nails, scratched and dragged. I knew it all was down there and knew the sounds instantly, tin cans moving, boxes being scratched, ladders being drug on the ground. I was in tears, too terrified to move to disappoint my dad, and also terrified because I felt like I was in danger. I slowly turned around to feel my way across the basement to the stairs. It was so dark I couldn't tell between my eyes being closed or open, so I shrunk down and crawled on the floor like a terrified puppy. I was desperate to get the fuck out when commotion and noises got louder and faster, and from out of the darkness this big-ass cold, cold, cold hand slapped down on top of mine. At that point the lights flickered on, I heard my dad upstairs, and as I looked up from my crawling position I saw a massive shadow a foot from my face. It was smoky black. Then the lights went off again just as quickly, and I booked it to the stairs. Ran, ran, ran my nine-year-old heart out, knocking down almost everything in my way, ping-ponging against every big piece of furniture. But I made it, goddammit. The next day I had bruises on top of my hand, and oddly enough, where the breath hit my neck, I had broken capillaries and tenderness for a few days after the incident. I never went down into the basement alone after that. I'm claustrophobic now, and I think it stems from that encounter with whatever the fuck was down there. Well, if anything was going to give you claustrophobia, it'd be that. Oh, no kidding. And for it to all happen in the dark? Right? No, 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 no. That's like a a letter to Pentos, except you're writing to Satan himself. (laughs) Dear Satan, I never thought this would happen to me. (laughs) That is terrifying. It's one of the main reasons I don't go into basements with no lights. Oh, yeah. Because you just don't know what's going to no. happen down there. I think I've said this before, but I used to hang out in my basement, you know, when I was a kid. Uh, and then one night I was down there and the power went out and it just went black. Yeah. And I was terrified. I yeah. sat in that chair for probably 10 or 15 minutes trying to work up the nerve to walk out. Yeah. Well, my bedroom is in the basement. Oh, God. In the far corner. Oh, of course. And I had to walk through. My parents had developed my bedroom and a family room. Right. But the rest of the basement was just open, undeveloped. So I had to cross the undeveloped, poorly lit section with the furnace and the hot water tank and all that to get to the door of my bedroom. So are your parents trying to train you to be like a child gladiator or something? (laughs) And we've set up most traps in the dark so that when you try and cross the floor. (laughs) Well, and at one point my dad took away my door. Why? Uh, because I had been quote unquote disrespectful. So he tried to kick my door down and that was the point where he held a knife to my throat. And Your childhood is terrifying. I know. I was like, I think I was 12 and I recognized the look on his face that like, I'm in a lot of trouble here. So I said, sorry, dad. Sorry. Right. You know, whatever you want. That's the thing. appropriate response when someone and has a knife to And then he decided I, 
Yeah. And he decided I did not deserve the quote-unquote privilege of having a door. Your dad was a real piece of shit. Yes, he was. We made peace at the end. He died um, He died when I was 25. Right. Um, and we did make peace at the end. But he was a very troubled person. Yeah, with a hair trigger temper. Yet again, I'm I'm astounded by the similarities between us because the basement I used to hang out in, in the far corner, of the family room was the only finished part. Oh wow! And my dad was garbage. Yeah, violent, uh, yeah, temperamental garbage. Yeah, yeah. Well, my dad thought reading was a waste of time, and I read all the time. Of course. And he would always walk past me and kind of sneer and be like, "Go do something useful." Ironic that I ended up writing a book. I know, right? <laughs> the ultimate rebellion. <laughs> Other kids do drugs and drink. Not me. I got published. Man, we're so lame. <laughs> Monica. I grew up in the Philadelphia suburbs and frequently went with my family up to our mountain house in the Poconos in northeast Pennsylvania. It was an old farmhouse built sometime in the late 1800s that my grandpa had bought for cheap with his brothers back in the 1940s. My brother and I loved being there, but also hated the house at night. It got so bad that we wouldn't sleep in any room alone, or in the upstairs room, even if we were together. We heard and saw weird things, from hearing ghost trains that don't run anymore from old tracks next to the house, to hearing the male and female voices talking in the bathroom in muffled tones. I never saw anything, but one night was particularly uneasy. My brother and I begged my dad to let us sleep on the couches downstairs that were across from each other, so we could be in the same room and not upstairs. That night, my brother woke up to see a black shadow with the outline of a face looking down at him about a foot from him. His couch was next to the stairs, and the shadow was peering over the stairs. Regardless of whether what we experienced was anything substantial, I never felt at ease in that house at night, and upstairs, I never felt at ease ever, even in the daylight. One time we woke my dad up in an upstairs room and he sat straight up with his eyes wide open out of a dead sleep and just stared at us to the point where my brother screamed and jumped back because it was so out of character and it startled us so much. Jumping forward, I'm now a nurse in Pennsylvania and work on a hospital floor where we sometimes have long-term residents who are ill and unfortunately do not make it. You get to know people's personalities really well, especially their day-to-day habits and quirks and it follows them that after they pass, we sometimes still see these quirks. Some people roll their eyes at me, but I truly believe there's a possibility some of my beloved patients come back to visit the floor in the months after they pass. We've had everything, from multiple call lights turned on by themselves repeatedly in rooms passed on residents that inhabited, to plumbing acting up, and pipes literally vibrating in a room where a patient used to sneak water out of the faucet when he wasn't supposed to be drinking or eating anything by mouth. That happened days after that patient passed away. Anyway, the most interesting thing to happen one night back in March of this year, when we had someone, something, call the floor 50 times overnight. But they were calling the archaic phone in our medication room that had an old-fashioned ringtone. No one uses this phone. One nurse has worked there for 35 years and never heard it ring. It started because my co-worker figured out the phone number and called it as a joke to freak us out. She did this about three times, admitted to it, and we laughed. Until the phone started ringing again. It was about 2 a.m., and all of us who were there that night were sitting at the nurse's station. No one was on their work or personal phones to be calling this phone. After it happened a few times, we decided to pick it up. We would answer it, and it would either go right to a dial tone, 
or it would be dead air on the other line. One time I answered, and a woman's voice asked for Alice. I told her this was the hospital, and she seemed kind of lost on the phone and muttered that they had lied to her. Then she hung up. That was the only time anyone was on the other end. I would have said, Alice doesn't live here anymore. (laughs) I don't think I would have picked it up. To be honest, I would have simply unplugged it. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Although, who was I talking to? There was someone I was talking to, and they had one of those old rotary dial phones. It wasn't plugged in, and it started ringing. Okay. Just... Out the door. Yeah, it's going in the end of the backyard. No, I'm going to bury it in the backyard. <laughs> After I run over it with my car. Yeah, well, well, yeah it's, it's a given. <laughs> and possibly someone else's car. Probably, yeah. So the ghost can go on those tires. No, we're going to have none of this Sylvia's mother nonsense. You just <laughs> go away. <laughs> that is a very obscure reference, but I totally got it. <laughs> I, I remember I was driving through the desert. I was so bored. Yeah. And all I had was the music I had with me. Right. And so I, I listened to Sylvia's mother something like eight times in a row. Oh, my God. To the point where I was getting kind of misty. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's a fantastic song. Just 40 cents more. Yeah. <laughs> well, he gets very emotional in the song. Like, he, it's a good song. It really is. Yeah. Uh, kids, uh, since this is apparently the uh, ancient history callback episode, <laughs> look up Dr. Hook. Sylvia's mother. Yes. It is a brilliant song. Also, Freaker's story. Ball. Okay. You don't know that one? No. Well, check that one out too. It kind of fits with the theme of episode 69. Oh, Jesus. I knew you were going to sneak one in there. (laughs) Bastard. Our last story tonight comes from Kathleen. Kathleen says, This particular set of happenings takes place over the course of several years. I won't give a lot of facts like my real name and where I live because I'm going to talk some shit about my then employer and those details are unique enough for someone to figure out where I worked. I'm not up for a libel suit. Sorry. No, that's fair. That's smart. I used to work for a company that was located in a very rundown area of town in an old fire station from the late 1800s. That job was hard. It was just so hard. It was a personality mismatch from the word go, and the tactics management used were basic emotionally abusive relationship 101. You suck. Nobody else would hire you, but we love you. You still suck. And around and around it went. I hated that job so much. The only consolation were my team members. They're good people who I mostly still keep in contact with. I went through some hard times there, not just from the management style, which sadly isn't all that uncommon, but just my own issues. And I I went through a similar position a long, long, long time ago. I had a garbage job working for garbage people, and they would build you up just enough to be able to knock you down again, so I, I sympathize. The first part of my story is connected to the bathroom. There were two bathrooms, and the ladies was always freezing cold, even in summer. They put a dedicated heater in there too, and it didn't help. Most people avoided it, so it was private, which quickly made it my favorite place. Gradually, I started to notice that I would find coins in there most of the times I went in. Pennies, nickels, dimes, quarters. Once, I even found a Kennedy half dollar. I just figured that someone else was going in there when I wasn't in there and had holes in their pockets or was digging around in their purse and dropped loose change. Then, one day, I was in a very dark headspace, and I went into the restroom to actually rest and get away from everyone else and I heard the sound of change falling to the tile floor. I'm female. Clothing companies don't give us pockets, so I knew it wasn't my money, but no one else was in there with me. I was all alone in the icy cold bathroom and had just heard money falling from nowhere. I'm a curious sort, so I turned around and started looking on the floor trying to find the coins I'd heard when I noticed two pennies where my feet had been just seconds before. One was heads up, one was tails up. I took them to my supervisor who was a pretty cool person and shielded us from the worst of what fell from upper management. 
and she said that when you find a penny, it means someone you love who has passed on is thinking of you. I figured if that was so, then maybe the message was that there's good days and bad days, and maybe don't do anything drastic on those bad days, because good days will come around. After that, I felt much better, as if something heavy had been lifted off my head. I think that was the point where I got a therapist and started working on my emotional problems, which didn't mean the job got better, but I was able to handle it better. And good on you for doing that. Therapy is really a hard step to take. It, you have to confront a lot of uncomfortable truths about yourself, but it is so necessary. So just, again, a lot of this shit is resonating with me personally. So I never got that dark again, or at least I haven't since. After that, the money dropper got more bold. I suppose they wanted me to know they were really there or something because they started throwing money at me <laughs> when I'd go in the bathroom. I'd be doing my business and a quarter or two would literally fly over the stall door or slide under the wall to land at my feet. I'd be at the sink washing my hands and money would bounce off the wall in front of me and no one was reflected in the mirror behind me. I was always alone in there. It was a very small room with only two stalls. On the whole, being haunted by someone who's basically handing me money is pretty mild by anyone's standards and it made for a good story to tell at parties. I think I made about $5 US at that job just going pee. The second part of my story is even more amusing to me. It was one of the days we were having a company event, so most employees were out in the parking lot having lunch. Part of my team were the only people still inside on our floor, and I was standing at my supervisor's cube with my back to an intersection in the cube farm, chatting with the others. Suddenly I felt someone rush up behind me and slap me on the ass. I heard the slap too, it was like someone just open hand smacked me. I quickly spun around expecting to see a friend of mine, but... No one was there. There weren't even people sitting in the row of cubes behind me. No one. The co-workers I had been speaking to asked what had happened, as they'd heard the slap too, and after I told them, they spread around looking for anyone who might have hit me. We couldn't find anyone. Someone quietly joked, Leave it to her to get goosed by a ghost. And we all laughed and went outside too. It became a joke that the old-timey firemen liked chubby chicks. Lord knows I'm not petite. Hey, they bought me a drink, and while I didn't appreciate the familiarity of the fanny smack, I never complained about the money. Yes, I know what that makes me, but hey, if you're selling your virtue, as the old-timers would say, at least get enough to buy soda. Amen to that. Wherever in the same space, I'll tell you the story about how we used to get free chicken wings. I really hated that place, but I did sort of miss the old boys when the company moved out of that building. Eventually, they offloaded our department in a layoff, and I was fortunate enough to be able to take a few years off recovering from the job. As part of my recovery phase, I got into genealogy. I discovered that my great-grandfather and a few of my great-uncles had been firemen around the time that station had been built quartered at the station just north of there. My brother is also a fireman in the present day. I figured the old timers were just helping out a sister who was going through some hard times. I know it's a super strange story, but it really did happen. I still have those pennies. It wasn't scary, it was actually pretty nice. They didn't have to be so kind to me. But just because someone's dead doesn't mean they have to be scary. Nice people turn into nice ghosts, you just have to be willing to see them when they are. Don't I say that all the time? Good people turn into good ghosts. And bad people, well, death seldom improves them. That's it. And I think it's very true of the world at large. I think if you think the world is full of pain and shitty people, then that's what you'll see. Yeah. You will only find pain and shitty people. Well, I had a friend recently, uh, last weekend, my friend Karen was talking about a change of perspective on the world. Right. And one of the questions that came up was, do you think people generally are doing their best? Right. And that answer will tell you everything you need to know about your outlook on the world. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? It is. I really pondered that one. And and generally, 
I do think people are doing their best. I think their best is sometimes pretty shitty. In, in my, no, no, no. But you know what I mean, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. in my eyes, I don't think their best is good enough. Sure. And I, I remember discovering that truth in my own counseling when I was dealing with my parents and growing up. Right. And you can have the worst, shittiest childhood. But bottom line is that for 99% of us, as shitty as it was, our parents did the best they could. Right. And I wish more people knew that truth. Yeah. Well, that, uh, that we could look at it now and go, well, that sucked. Like, they made terrible choices and did terrible things. Right. But in their minds, they were doing the best they could for you. Yeah. And I think it's it's a hard realization to have yeah. that your parents are just people. Yes. Yes. You know, when you have that moment where you realize... Well, yeah, you know, mom and dad fuck up just as much as anyone else. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, like you and I talked about how your, the lady says, you know, she looked in the mirror and she thinks, well, where's that old lady? Because yeah. in her head, she's still 22. That's right. I think that's pretty true across the board. I agree. I and think then, we're all just making this shit up as we go along and doing our best to not fuck it up. Well, when something happens, you look around for an adult to help you and then realize, you're the adult. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I think that truth can set so many people free. Oh, I agree. Because uh, so many people spend so much time, well, I'm like this because my parents, X, Y, or Z. Sure. No. You're like this because at this point, you're choosing to be like this. Right. Right? And so just deal with it. Let it go. Move on with your life. Make better choices. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I mentioned in the story when uh, Kathleen talked about getting therapy. Yeah. I, I said, you know, it's, I, I think that's a great thing because yeah. it's hard to do. And it I, is. I know there's still this lingering stigma that therapy is something, I don't know, East coast elites do. Right. But man, when you start picking at your brain and you realize the hot bed of neuroses that are up there. Yeah. And I mean, believe me, I'm speaking from experience. Yeah. I, I don't see a therapist now, but there was a time in my life, my life felt apart, apart. And, you know, people died and there was all these things happening. I'm not going to get into here. But if I hadn't had a counselor there to guide me through it, I would have, I'd be a basket case. Yeah. And now as I get older, I'm thankfully, I'm pretty good at diagramming my emotions. So if I'm, you know, if something's pissing me off, I can ask myself, is this really what's pissing me off? Or am I pivoting to this anger to feel like I have some kind of control because I can't control these two things which right. are stressing me out. Right. Which is, I think, is hugely valuable, but so many people just don't do that. That's the whole thing, right? I mean, uh, therapy, counseling, whatever you want to call it, it's not there to just fix your problem. It's there to give you the tools to move through your life. Yeah. And and ultimately make better choices. I mean, that's really all it's about. You take your car for an oil change, why would you not take your brain for checkup? I mean, this is not complicated. I said this recently, I had cause to be speaking to a grieving person who is a very, very masculine, you know, sort of, I would say typically, uh, stereotypically masculine person, right. good person, but yeah. stereotypical, one of the guys, right. And he's an older fellow. And he said, I I've been, you know, I keep crying and I'm struggling with this thing. And, and I said, that's fine, man. That's, that's fine. I said, you gotta cry. And he was really resistant to this. And I said, crying is a biological process. It, it's, it's just as much of a biological process as taking a shit. Right. What happens if you don't take a shit? Right. You get crampy, you get bitchy, you're, yeah. you're not a real nice person to be around and you're in a lot of pain. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing. If you suppress your emotions, these things come out, man, you, you can suppress them to a point, but at some point you get crampy, you get bitchy and it just, it starts to back up and poison you. 
And I, I just think, yeah, you have to engage with that. You have to acknowledge like, oh man, I'm human. This sucks. Yeah. I guess yeah. I got to deal with this stuff. Yeah. No, exactly. That so was yeah. an unusually heavy way to end the show. It's certainly The was. therapy guys. <laughs> Let us guide you through this journey, this life's journey. Call your mom. That's right. And make sure you brush your teeth and mine because I hate doing it. But anyways, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Well, I guess that's going to do it for our 12th volume of listener stories. That was so much fun. There's so many great stories. It really was. And again, not all scary stories. Not nope. all watch out, it's the boogeyman. No, no, no. And that's not really what ghost stories are. No, that's it. But uh, of course, so many people, you know, it's it's easier to frame things as a negative because it it makes you sound like you're you're the protagonist in a story. Yeah. Up against something hairy. And uh, you're the protagonist in your story anyways, man. Again, you're going to meet villains. So Jesus, don't, don't make them when you don't have to. No, exactly. Anyways, I'm going to stop pontificating now. We're going to take a quick <laughs> break and we'll come back. Patron shoutouts and listener mail. Welcome back. Thanks to the rest of the team, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for their help on this and every episode. We couldn't do it without you. Now it's time for our patron shoutouts. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our newest patrons, Tia Couture, Julie Brown, and Anita Cusick. Thank you so much for your support, folks. As we mentioned, we're recording this episode two or three days after the last one because Ian's going on vacation. So if you signed up for Patreon between I say now and when this episode is released and you don't hear your name, that's why, but we're definitely going to get you on the Halloween show. And if you want to join our Patreon, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost guys. We have tiers at the one, five, 10, 20 and $50 levels. That gets you access to things like our monthly cabin fever show, which is anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour of me and Ian hanging out and talking about what's going on, shooting the breeze and all the stuff that doesn't fit into the regular show. And uh, this month's Cabin Fever will be coming out at the end of the month, and we'll be talking about Ian Strip. There's also the monthly episode of Luke Lore, which is a deep dive by Luke into a folklore subject of his choosing. At the $10 level, you get things like access to our monthly live show. At 20 you get things like three signed art cards of my night photography. You also get the digital copy of Ian's smash hit, Christian Country album, Aware of Wonder. At 50 you get things like quarterly gifts from us. You get access to early access to new designs and all kinds of things. You also get entered into our patron draws when they happen. And coming up on Halloween, we're having both our annual Halloween giveaway and our 500,000 downloads giveaway. So we're going to be giving away things like, as I mentioned before, five digital downloads of Vampire Stepdad's The Sun Also Sets album, two Vampire Stepdad enamel pins, two Quasar's Arcade enamel pins. Quasar's, of course, being the Victoria Arcade where I take my unchildren, Nathaniel and Kiki. <laughs> There's also going to be a variety of Ghost Story Guys gear, and a copy of Ian's book, Victoria's Most Haunted. Woohoo! Uh, and if my book turns up by then, there'll be a copy of mine there too. <laughs> dare to dream. Yeah, dare to dream. Hopes are not high. Again, that's all over patreon.com slash ghost story guys. And 
thank you so much to everyone who supports us. We can't tell you how much we appreciate it. We literally could not do the show without you at this point. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I had I had money when I started the show. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that absolutely helps us out. Next up, we have listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. Thanks to everyone who reached out. Again, it's only been a couple days, so it's a pretty short list. But we still appreciate it. We love the stories. We love hearing from you. We love the pictures. When people buy one of our shirts or jackets and wears it out into the world, we love seeing that. It's just crazy to us to see people out in the world wearing this thing that started in my crappy office. It's heartening and wonderful. So thank you all very much. This time around, we'd like to thank Anna, Jennifer, Jordan, Taisha, Jenny, Alexandra, Emmett, and John. Thank you so much, everyone. Again, we, we love hearing from you. Please, even if you're thinking, hey, I should, I might have a story those guys want to hear. Yes. The answer is yes. We absolutely do want to hear it. And you can reach us at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. That's the best place for stories. You can also find us at facebook.com slash ghoststoryguys and on Instagram at theghoststoryguys. But as far as submitting stories go, Mm -hmm. email is the way to do it. Definitely. As far as news, the only thing I have to offer is the same thing I mentioned on the last show. I did an interview on Revelstoke Jim's podcast. Jim's a friend of mine from Revelstoke. And it was just a recording of a conversation he and I had when I was in town at the beginning of the month. It's a lot of fun. It's just two friends shooting the breeze about how this podcast got started, the dwindling number of strip clubs in BC, all against the backdrop of a really loud train going past in places. I, I don't know how we managed to clean up that conversation enough that it could be heard, but it's it, the fact that it is downloadable at all is a testament to Jim's audio engineering skills. So if you want to hear that, search for Rebel Stoke Jim wherever you get your podcasts. At some point in the coming month, hopefully in November, we're going to be having another guest on the show. We're going to be having Kevin Eustace from the We Need to Talk About Ghosts podcast. We've been trying to get Kevin on since August, and he's been super game, uh, but we, however, have been super lame. (laughs) (laughs) We've been, between our two schedules, you know, I had to take off when we had the death in the family, and then, you know, it's been catching up with that has been a nightmare. Ian's going on vacation. Kevin's time difference. And there's, yeah, of course, the eight-hour time difference. So we we have to, uh, we we will make it work, though, because we desperately want to get Kevin on the show because uh, I think that's going to be a f- really fun time. So keep listening for that. I'm thinking probably November, but I'm saying it on the show now. So there's this su- pressure on us <laughs> to make it work. <laughs> if you want to pick up some Ghost Story Guys merch, head on over to our website at ghoststoryguys.com. Follow the link there to our Redbubble and Threadless stores. You can also find us at ghoststoryguys.bigcartel.com if you want to buy pins or autographed copies of our books. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. We've had a lot of great reviews lately. It just helps bump us up the charts, helps get eyes on the show. We certainly appreciate it. We really do. Huge thanks to this month's musical guest, Vampire Stepdad. The song on this episode is Hope Springs Eternal. That's from his latest album, The Sun Also Sets. You can buy a copy of that over at VampireStepdad.com. Or if you want to give the whole album a listen first, you can find it anywhere you stream your music. But we do encourage you to head over to VampireStepdad.com. It's not my real dad. That's right. You don't know me. Yeah, he told us to stop emailing him about that. You're not my real dad. Look, dude, it's just, please, please. Our story's theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. You can find more from them at hexagram.bandcamp.com or wherever you get your streaming music. That track is exclusive to the show, but if you want to get it, patrons at the $10 level and up do get that as one of their ringtones. Our main theme, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, was composed and performed by Pizzanta Music. 
You can find more from him at soundcloud.com slash music or on all the major streaming platforms. And finally, all other music was licensed through Epidemic Sound. If you're looking for pod-safe music and sound effects for your next audio project, head on over to epidemicsound.com to check them out. I guess that's going to do it. Yeah, I think we covered all the bases, and we certainly had some great stories this time. We sure did. Provided Ian doesn't die on his vacation. (laughs) We'll be back in two weeks with another show, and until then... Into the darkness we go. That was right? Yeah. 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 See, I listen when you talk. I'm impressed. I'm looking up right now because I'm not prepared. Been all this time thinking up dirty jokes. <laughs> and now I'm going to sing Sex Bomb. No, you're really not. <laughs> I mean, I appreciated the disclaimer. Yep. Well, because it made a lot more sense after that. Some sort of doxy bog. <laughs> doxy bog. Oh, she's a doxy. Wow. Yeah, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, I figure that like, it, it's hard to um, just generally be ugly and famous. I figure that's why like we've got an upper limit on, you know. And we've got a glass ceiling. Is your mom disappointed in you? Because, uh... <laughs>